A History of Friendship. In a queer time, in outer space. Pigs in space! In queer theory, time is a lot like space. Epochs, epics, eras, erratum, ersatz, er. Time takes up space, eras. Ruffles have ridges. Ruffles have ranch ridges. Eras are rolling ridges. Vast. Unnumbered. Like a thousand landscapes lapping and lapping and lapping each other. Like a runner who is also a track. What I am trying to say is that space and time are inextricable. From one another. According to Michel Foucault, identity is a useful category insofar as it allows one to arrive at multiple relations. Identity is a point in time, in space. Imagine it as a kind of room. You, yourself, are a room. But you are also in your room. Inside yourself? How am I not myself? How am I not myself? Myself. Myself. How am I not myself? 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 I hear the ticking of the clock I'm lying here, the room's pitch dark So you're in your room, always but there are certain ways to expand your room's purview. Even if you stay in just the one room your whole life, by the time you're 80, you look at the room totally differently. Your eyes will have changed, your perspective. You'll have renovated your closet, mirrored your mirrors, upholstered the hosiery. Take me to church. You'll have all kinds of relationships with furniture. Come sit yourself, part of the furniture. But while you are always in your room throughout your life, you still exist in time. This is where the trouble starts. You can never hold on to time. She keeps on going, slipping through my fingers all the time. Now imagine the room as a timescape. Some timescapes have more influence on you than others. The writer Wayne Kestenbaum, for instance, understands his room to be always imbued with the sounds, colors, and sensations of the 1980s. Specifically, the 1980s of New York City. The public and the private are inextricable. Time and space. The public is connected to one's privates. The intrusion of the abject into the everyday. The intrusion of the everyday into the abject. This is the social. You have this social situation which is lovely but also filled sometimes with self-conscious striving and a certain posturing. 
and a claim that we all love each other. But here you let loose something that will isolate you and cause others to scapegoat you as the dirty, infected one. You're actually bringing a bit of good news into the room. You're forcing them to confront their disgust and their aversion. Farting in yoga is just the intrusion into a polite space of one bit of the news of your mortality. We are always necessarily in our own rooms. But like Foucault implies, the only point of a room is to establish connections with other rooms. But to expand is to infect. To be a friend is not always to make a friend, and vice versa. I think we learn this from the 80s. We see the dangers of renovation in 80s movies. Desperately seeking Susan. Rosanna Arquette needs to know Madonna to save herself from suburban ennui. But by trying to know her, she hurts herself and others. It's supposed to be that love is the most dangerous game, but I think it might be friendship. It's totally fine to be passionately in love. It's extolled, lauded. But to be passionately friendly is just creepy. Hey, if you were a hot dog <laughs> and you were starving, would you eat yourself? Let's return to time. Queer time, sacred time. Mircea Eliade developed a theory of the eternal return. It's crucial that the Messiah always be on the way. If you come back, you can never come back. The arrival is always deferred. Sacred time is like queer time. Jack Halberstam has an idea of a queer becoming, a constant becoming, the eventual arrival always deferred. What happens to a dream deferred? Maybe we just keep dreaming. Defer, defer, defer. It's the Everyone has their own 1980s. My grandmother's 1980s is probably the 40s. My father's is the 60s. My mother, if you ever met her, hers might be the 2020s, for all we know. But I believe that there's a certain relationship with the 1980s that all of us have now, in 2015, even if we don't think about it all the time. There are concrete reasons I might give for why this is the case. The AIDS epidemic informing the vaccine controversy of the aughts, Reaganomics informing the nomics of the aughts, Madonna informing the Madonna of the aughts. Life is a mystery. Everyone must stand alone. First you love me and I let you in. Made me feel like I was born again. I want my MTV, MTV, MTV! But moving on. Mama, if that's moving up, then I'm moving out. On March 29, 2015, our rooms occupy a mediatized zone, a rhizome, a rise home of a corporate timescape. There is an obsession with opinion, the desire to be heard. All this is rooted in a 1980s time zone, specifically one from New York City. Time, time, time. As the era saw the rise of MTV and the audio and the visual as a landscape for the spectacle, New Yorkers needed to feel even closer to each other. Mirror this fusion. The movie Desperately Seeking Susan portrays these efforts. Film scholar Jackie Stacy, in her essay, Desperately Seeking Difference, posits that the pleasure Rosanna Arquette gets from watching and trying to know Madonna in the movie is a subversive one. This pleasure is double in the sense that a woman-identified spectator is a flaneur, gazing upon this relation and having vicarious pleasure. Swatching. 
This argument would make sense to me if the characters and the setting in the movie had any relationship to reality. At all. Desire and pleasure, for me, works in terms of some kind of attainability. I will never fuck Madonna, but I will probably fuck a person that exists. Madonna doesn't exist. New York City doesn't exist. Nothing in this movie is real. Aiden Quinn might have blue eyes, but they're certainly not that blue. They're blue in the way that the East River is blue. Desperately seeking the 1980s. Desperately seeking New York City. Our New York City's ourselves. Our Madonna's are nobodies. Madonna is New York City. Rosanna Arquette is us. We want to believe that New York City in the 80s exists. We want to believe Madonna exists. We want to believe we can fuck Aiden Quinn. Aiden Quinn wishes he could fuck Aiden Quinn. Desperately Seeking Susan is a monument to a fantasy. It's a lie. It's a spectacle that reveals its own apparatus. The jacket Madonna wears is a mechanism of the city's construction. It's a conduit. Rosanna Arquette tries on the jacket, and it doesn't go well for her either. Friendships, like these imagined pasts, are carefully constructed fantasies. We imagine our rooms can really connect to other rooms. We imagine we love living in railroad apartments on the Lower East Side in 1985. But we don't. The fantasy of Desperately Seeking Susan is that New York is better, not that you can escape suburbia, as Jackie Stacy believes. New York City, as a vision and soundscape, has no relationship to life to lived life, because New York is disgusting. With that, I introduce today's special ghost, Worcester Group alum and debonair man about town, Mike Stum. Hello, Mike. Happy to have you here today. Hi. Hi, people. And I'm here again with my usual co-hosts, Andre Kello. Hey. And Eric Wenzel. <coughs> Hi. <laughs> Nicely done. Anyway, I wanted to sort of, because this is a podcast ostensibly about sound and performance, I wanted to sort of lead off with a question about how the sounds of the 1980s, you know, like synthesizers, fire alarms, mm-hmm. HBO static, can codifies events and feelings for you, like in your life. Because I know not all of us experienced the 1980s f- very much of it at all. I certainly didn't. But th- I think that there is like lingering traces that might affect the way we experience the world. I know. remember being disappointed in Michael Dukakis. <laughs> really? I was four years old in the 1988 election <laughs> And I remember thinking, Wearing a little suit and tie. is this really the guy we got? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's your, is that, so that's like your first 1980s moment. That's you, my earliest memory of the 80s. Do you remember like watching Mike Dukakis on TV and that's what led you to this? I, I think I watched one of, voice. at least one of the presidential debates mm-hmm. uh, between him and H.W. Uh, Bush. Mm-hmm. But uh, I couldn't tell you much about it. And you know what? Part of that memory might just be my memory of the movie Donnie Darko when they're watching yeah. the debate in the hotel room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I can't really say one way or the other. Yeah. And well, she writes Dukakis on the refrigerator and then they talk about whether or not someone can suck a fuck. Oh, yeah. Well, that's kind of how memory works, right? In the sense that you're mm-hmm. constantly um, remembering. <laughs> you're constantly sucking, sucking a in, fuck. Sucking in thoughts. <laughs> and you're, you're constantly trying to remember sort of other things that you've remembered. You know, like, I feel like that's how people like experience childhood in some ways, too, is that you don't actually remember maybe being four, but you remember being five and remembering being four and so on and so forth. Can, can I ask a question? Do it. OK, so Michael Dukakis. And, and I, I just want to preface this question by saying that um, for most of the 1980s, I was really 
I was there, okay, but I was really stoned, okay? <laughs> and I mean, you know, like really stoned. So uh, uh, Michael Dukakis was governor of Massachusetts. That's right. And he ran for president. Mm-hmm. When yeah. did when did he actually do this? <laughs> he was the Democratic nominee After in 1988. Reagan. 1988. Oh, when see, Reagan was, wow. Was on the, uh... I I was busy paying attention to many of my friends like dying that year. So it means I didn't vote in the presidential election. So um, who else ran? Well, uh, his running mate was Geraldine Ferrara. And that was the first oh, time a woman yeah. was on the ticket. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. Who who won? H.W. Uh, Bush. Oh, oh, right. That, Bush that him. Okay. Well, there's Bush no President 41. Dukakis, that, unfortunately, that I know of. Well, Not I would have to say yeah. that Andre Kello is the foremost Dukakis historian in the United States. <laughs> it's true. Able to name uh, his running mate and uh, what what state he was from. Bar- oh, no, that was... Oh, Barbara no. Tuckman's been in contact with Andre trying to get mm. that Right, book but you were able to confirm. Mike was like, correct me. <laughs> yeah, and you're th- like, yes. Thank you, thank you for, for confirming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fact-checking. And, um, and yeah, and, and now I know this, and I can, in, in future, I can pretend mm-hmm. to actually. I go, Mike Dukakis, oh yeah, sure. That guy, <laughs> 1988. Yeah. Um, in 1988, uh, just to, you know, I mean, to, to, to defend, try to defend a fairly indefensible stance, it was, uh, uh, that was the year, 1987, 1988 w- were the years that um, I could go to a funeral for a friend, okay, mm-hmm. not an acquaintance, for a friend every week. Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for, uh, and then you start factoring in acquaintances, okay, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Did you go to those? Did I, you go to I those? went to many of them. Yeah. Um, um, they, it got, I, 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 I blush to say this, but there were so many of them that, you know, you mm-hmm. eventually lost interest is the wrong, but you, you just got burned out. It was, um, so many people were dying and so many of them were your friends and mm-hmm. and every time you and, and there was this weird you know sense of complicity as well you thought to yourself well why isn't it me yeah do you know why isn't it the person i live with you know was, mm-hmm. we all lived in high risk you know everyone i knew lived in some sort of high risk group of one yeah one type or another and um so um yeah it was uh, it was stunning i mean it was like being uh, as i think back and i hear myself say it, it was like it was like being in battle, you know, it was like the the toll was that extraordinary. The people were just dying left and right. So, like the sort of. I went to visit my friend Cookie one day at the hospital. Had been sick for for a couple of years, <clears throat> and I walked in uh, Cabrini on First Avenue. I walked in and um, I said, "I want to see Miss Mueller to the nurse." And uh, the uh, nurse went, um, "Hang on a second. Looked in a book, and then and then turned to me and said oh miss mueller just expired and, and i the, like the thi- a fucking gallon of milk well, yeah. well the, the thing i said to her and it was i didn't stop to think about it it just came out of my mouth i said you mean like my library card yeah i, I mean i'm not yeah. i'm not kidding i said it was just it was so you know and i mean you know so sanitized like yeah, <sighs> yeah. yeah it was like well it was it was mm-hmm. so for you the sort of feelings and sensations and events of the 1980s are necessarily ones of grief or loneliness? N- not or necessarily. I mean, possibly the, the late 80s. No, remember when I mentioned that really stoned thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, at the end of the decade before, you, you know, uh, uh, the most popular drug on the planet and amongst all my friends was heroin. You know, mm-hmm. a couple of the, the year before it was cocaine. It was like you couldn't bump into anyone who did not have everyone you bumped into at any given point had some cocaine in their yeah. pocket. <laughs> okay. They had cocaine wrapped up in some paper. Uh, and then the year, the next year, they had heroin. 
Um, don't ask me why, except this, you know, heroin tends to be kind of cyclical. It's marginally cheaper, at least when you're starting. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's really effective. It really works. It does what it says it's going. It does what people <laughs> say it's going to do yeah, to you. Yeah. Gets you really stoned. And um, so uh, uh, why, why did I start? To, why did I start saying this? What was the question you asked me? Oh, I, I was what asking. What did the 80s sound like? Ah, yeah. right. Muffled. Um, Muffled, yeah. <laughs> well, well, it was uh, uh, so. So, if decades tend to bleed into one another, I'm, you know, sometimes I think the 1980s didn't really start till like 1985. That was, you know, the well, ni- the 1970s kind of went up to there and then boom, you know. You know, and that's an interesting idea that I've been thinking about lately because I went to see this thing at the Art Institute about um, the long 18th century and art and furniture in the mm. long 18th century. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that the 18th century was long. I thought that it was only the 19th. I was like, oh, I guess they're all long. <laughs> like All the centuries can be long. And I was thinking about this in terms of decades, right? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. you can say that th- 2000s really didn't begin until 2000, until 9-11, that, that's you know? Really, that's and really like, true. And that's sort of like how that works. So I'm interested. I don't even count So you 2000s. think the 80s started in 85. Why? Here's how, here's how I think, and, and I'll just, I'll do this as a, sort of tone poem okay this this it kind of goes like 70s into the 80s goes like this okay and, and this i'm just speaking from myself and the, and the and the people i hung around with okay it went like heroin 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 money okay and when money happens that's 1984 1984 1985 happens. and that's and suddenly it's the 80s money it means like you know julian schnabel is getting eight quadrillion dollars for oh, a I picture see. It, are, it means yeah yeah, funding. yeah. It, it, well no not funding it's, not, it's yeah. money okay because yeah. the 70s is funding okay yeah I, yeah I i worked at this place where where absolutely nobody came to see our stuff for for a decade from 1975 to 1985 no one liked us no mm. one came to see us we had a dancer uh the uh, the upstairs neighbor and a kitty cat in our mm-hmm. audience that was like a big audience yeah, okay? yeah. um and uh, uh and and then and we existed okay i mean we shouldn't have been able to make a living and yet we could we existed because of unemployment hello mm-hmm. okay you know cheap rent control hello okay yeah. cannot say enough ha- tip of the hat to rent control <laughs> yeah man yeah. And um and city uh, and state and federal funding. Okay, they yeah. didn't care what we did. They gave us money, and they did that for everyone. They did that for the Hungarian expatriate squat theater, who were the was the only other theater. That's not true. There were there were two others, but squat was one of the only two other theaters that I, I wanted to work at at the time. There were mm-hmm. only three places I wanted to work in in Which the late. The, the, what, the Wooster Group, where I worked, um, mm-hmm. Charles Ludlum's Ridiculous Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, f- fantastically subversive stuff. Yeah. And Squat Theater, the people who would regularly drive like a Volkswagen into their, on, on stage, okay? they drive yeah. a Volkswagen out. They had a theater up on 23rd Street, right next to the Chelsea Hotel. And um, they, they did this remarkable stuff. They had, they had the, uh, the audience was facing, so you'd, you'd face the street, and you knew that because there was a window. It used to be an old bakery or something, or a deli. And, and, and they had a window. They didn't cover up. They'd, you know, have a curtain on it, and they'd pull it. But occasionally, they'd, they'd you know, open the curtain. And, and you're watching the show. It's like, you know, the curtain, I mean, the window just happens to be, like, background, and you're not looking at it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you look through it, and you, because a taxi's pulled up outside, okay? And um, um, a guy gets out and his overcoat's on fire, okay? And he pulls a gun out 
and he starts shooting at another guy down the street. Okay, yeah. and the other guy starts shooting back at the guy, and then you know everybody falls dead. The poor taxi driver hasn't the faintest oh, idea what's yeah. going because he's a real taxi driver. Yeah. Okay, which means he, he you know U turns illegally and like screeches out of the, and um and that sort of stuff used to happen. You know, on a I mean, Squat used to do that sort of. They also lived in that theater. Okay, mm-hmm. they um you know they they. They really put their money where their mouth was. Uh, I mean, they, they didn't make any, they, they only made the normal. Yeah, but, but, but you know, funding, I mean, uh, the state and the city and the government would give them money to do this yeah. ridiculously irresponsible stuff, you know? Yeah. So there was money, but there was no law and order. Oh, hello, New York City. There was new, mm-hmm. and it was, and that was the wonderful thing about, you know, the wonderful thing was it was a city that nobody wanted to go to, you know. Yeah. The rest of America wished it would fall into the ocean. See, you, know? you don't agree with what I said in the monologue about New York City not being about New York City being a terrible place. What? what wait. You, or, or this idea that like it was a terrible like, like, was, New York, like New York City in the eighties was in some ways like vital and wonderful and amazing. I, I, I'm saying that yes, but it was also a shithole. You know, yeah, it was like yeah. N- nobody with with you, you know nobody nobody reasoning through like oh well where should I live in America? You know, <laughs> it, living in in Chicago or St. Louis would go like you know I just can't wait to like pick up and move to New York City. The only people who wanted to come were people who knew that you know it was cheap. They could do whatever they wanted. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean you know there were there were entire years where you did not st- set foot above 14th Street. Okay, yeah. your world revolved around CBGBs and you know the place you worked, which was hopefully somewhere below 14th Street. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, with any luck, you, you, you worked at CBGB's, okay? Yeah. You know, so you could, like, go there and work there. But it's not like this – it was not a romantic place in the way that people talk about Well, it depends on what you call romance, you know? Yeah. I mean, a whole bunch of people dying in the mid-'80s, you know, thought it was real romantic in 1975. You know, it's yeah. like if we want to there's, – there's numerous ways to define romance, you know? It's, uh, yeah. Uh, if, yeah, frankly, it was very romantic. I, I, I thought so. It was this, it's this weird – look, look at it this way. It was we, – we used to say to people – uh, so they'd say, "Where do you live?" And we go, "Well, we live on this small island off America." Yeah. And um, and hey, guess what? That's romantic. It's romantic yeah. both yeah. in like a treasure island way. Okay. Yeah, it's romantic you know, in the sense that you're you get to create like a sort of alternative family structure. That's you know you you are actively involved in building a life for yourself through this community of people. And that's the, I th- I think that's pretty romantic. Yeah. L- let me try to uh, amplify that heroin, 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 heroin money. Mm-hmm. Part of what happened in the 1970s was that a whole bunch of people, and um, and here again we have to we're not, we're here, we have to take our hats off to the you know to the peep, to the kids at CBGBs, okay, mm-hmm. you know, because punk rock as it existed in the mid 70s in New York City was the jumping off point for uh, uh, even people who didn't know it was there. You know, it was like you know, because genius comes in waves. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't, you know, people three blocks away can like be doing stuff and not really know what's going on over on the Bowery. But somehow it's everything, you know, uh, uh, flows back and forth. There was this wonderful sort of flow. But it, at any rate, it's it's the 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 thing that became really that suddenly I think the penny that dropped for everybody was like, whoa, if I want to, I can be someone else. You know, this mm, yeah. was this was the message in the mid 1970s. I, I can be whoever I want. You well, know, I can wear whatever I want. I can call myself whatever I want. I can do whatever I want because it really doesn't cost that much. And it's like the investment is is small. And the the nobody even thought about the rewards. It was like rewards wasn't the point. You know, it wasn't yeah. money. It wasn't fame. It wasn't 
It was just the ability to do stuff that you thought was kind of cool and not have a bunch of people marching in the door and go, hey, you can't do that. Yeah. So CBGBs became the sort of like rock and roll high school, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then rock and roll college and then rock and roll graduate school. <laughs> well, and, now, and here's what happened. In, here's where the 1980s, you know, effectively, you know, because why I go like heroin, 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 money, you know, mm-hmm. money stops this stuff. OK, because money implies a monied class, you know, suddenly in this classless system, okay, this, right. this genuine democracy that was being d- invented, you know, in down below 14th Street in, in New York City, uh, uh, enter the spectator. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and I remember sitting at the bar at CBGB's one day and, and like some people with, with furs and spandex walked in. And I turned to the, I turned to the guy next to me. I said, who, who, who were they? they? Well, clearly they didn't belong there. I said, who were they? And, and the fellow looked in and went, oh, spectators. Okay. And, yeah, and, and gawkers, this is, yeah. well, this is what happened. Spectator, people with money come. Okay. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, everything is for sale because, you know, people aren't foolish and heroin costs money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, you, you know, all of a sudden, and, and when the money appeared, a lot of money appeared. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's no accident that, you know, the, the 1980s invents an artist like Jeff Koons, who can honestly, you know, and very straightforwardly say to you, yes, my art is money. Okay. My yeah. art is not only about money, it is money. That's my yeah. art. Yeah. It's creating, and, and, th- th- and that necessarily involves a New York City con- context because, like anything else, it's invention. You know, it's this ability to do what you want. You know, and just and not ha- not be impeded by other beings. It was this. Re- it was a remarkable petri dish. You know, it was this yeah. s- social laboratory that appeared to have no consequences. Yeah. Um. Um. You know, everything was so cheap; it may as well have been free. You yeah. know. You. Know, I have this really sort of troubled thought process when I think about New York City as like this place where people go to reinvent themselves and escape. Because I think, or the idea it was ever the cheap place to go. Well, yeah. that that's. <laughs> crazy to me <clears throat> hello rent control yeah goodbye rent control yeah right um and i because because i think that there's this really dangerous idea that and like i understand good dangerous why, or bad dangerous bad da- hear me out okay. let me finish my thought <laughs> it's a bad dangerous idea where like you have a you, you think that you're from some small town and no one understands you and you feel really alone so new york becomes this place where you can escape that mm. and what happens is that new york you know experiences like glut of like overly eager young people willing to do anything in order to escape mm-hmm. their hometown or whatever. And meanwhile, those hometowns remain impoverished, remain culturally stagnant, remain mm-hmm. without culture of any kind. And I think there's like, that's like really upsetting to me because I like think it's really important. Like I would love to have like a thriving theater community in a place other than New York City or parts of Chicago. Like I would love to have like a fucking thriving avant-garde theater scene in like Omaha. Or in, um, but the problem Decatur, is that the, the United States only has enough people who are interested in committing their lives to this for there to be that kind of a community in one town. No, there's Exa- not. There's way too many people in New York. There's way too many I, artists. I agree. It's there's and exactly the right number. No, there's not. No. There's way too many people. That's why they're all they're all there well, failing. They're all going to make it, and they're not because each year, ten thousand more graduates of a graduate program come there to go be an artist Flail. or whatever because yeah. because they've seen the Martin Scorsese films and the Desperately Seeking Susan and the well it's all that look 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 around the room you know we're here in Chicago you know to the yeah. best well, of my yeah, knowledge graduate school it's yeah. it's um, I didn't get into CUNY I, oh. I don't I don't think I didn't get into CUNY um I I uh, I don't think I I think this 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 utopia you posit Eleanor is 
if not about to happen, is in the process of happening. And and I mean, you know, how do you mean? Well, well, it's no people. I don't think people. It's getting the uh, people are understanding they cannot go to New York any longer and make this happen right. for oh, various reasons. They go there and, and they disappear. And I don't yeah. think I think it's getting around to the point where they're going to very soon, if this isn't happening already, they're going to want to not go there. Uh, well, I mean, already it, we're in a situation where people like uh, Patty Smith and David Byrne are telling people don't come. Yeah, it, it shouldn't come as news to anyone that that you y- without a great deal of money. Okay, yeah. you can't live there and but if you've never been to new york you don't it's hard to really understand how much money we're talking about like i remember it's more money than i like i have never been in any place where there was that much money in the same place yeah or not or right next door and there's nothing well the thing that's so fucked up is that like i used to work as a nanny in new york and i worked there i worked as a nanny for four years in new york city and i worked for a lot of like wealthy people but the thing is i remember i worked for family on the upper east side on 80th and york and which is like a huge, like, you know, very expensive neighborhood to live in. And I remember their apartment, like, it was nice, but it like wasn't that nice, you know? And these people were definitely in like the top 10% of like, mm-hmm. like they made a shit ton of money. Both of, both the mom and the dad, they both worked. And I, and yet they still lived in this like kind of drab, like ugly apartment that small. wasn't, that was small. Yeah. And I was like, what are you getting out of this? You know, and I and I hate and you know, and they're like, well, when the Second Avenue sub- subway comes up, because it was like a fifteen minute walk to the four, and it was just and they, and honestly, the dad who lived in New York, he grew up in Midwood, Brooklyn. A fifteen he would minute like, walk. He would like he would like fantasize. He's like, well, I really think the Second Avenue subway. It was like their fucking Mahdi or their Messiah. It's like when the Second Avenue subway, things are really going to start moving up. Uh, here's a here's a funny. <laughs> God love the Second Avenue subway. Here's a funny Second Avenue subway story. They started. Okay, it was. Should we give context for the listeners about the Second Avenue? Yeah, subway? what is well, that? There is no Second Avenue yeah, subway. The there joke- was going. To, it's the East Side of New York where there doesn't. You know, there's a great deal of the East Side of New York that it's not. You know, it's a. It's a. Yeah, you need to walk 20 minutes to get yeah, from yeah. your house to the Third Avenue. You know, yeah. um, I art. Uh, you know, to get to the Third Avenue subway. Yeah. Oh, the, this le- is the next thing. The Lexington st- line. They started mm-hmm. building the Second Avenue subway they dug- in 1920. Lindsay, <laughs> no, no, no. Lindsay, it's during the Lindsay administration, so the late right. 1960s, somewhere, okay, whatever, somewhere, somewhere yeah. around the time where they built the uh, World World Trade Center. You know, oh, yeah. uh, my you know my early landscape of New York City does not include the World Trade Center as it does not now. Yeah. <laughs> either. Okay. But. Um, um, yeah, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Um, spoiler. Uh, I know we were spoiler spoiler alert. We've been talking about drug addiction and AIDS, but to bring up the World Trade Center. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, that's just sorry, too much. sorry, 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 sorry. But back to the Second Avenue subway. The the, the lighthearted part of the program. They, they they in the late sixties, the Lindsay administration. They started at Sixty Sixth Street, and they, they there was a hole in in under Second Avenue. They dug up Second Avenue from Sixty Sixth Street all the way to Houston Street. Um, they were going to build a subway. And then they ran out of money. New York City was the brokest city in the world. This oh, is, yeah. You know, remember, in, in five years, there's that, that famous uh, daily news headline, Ford to City Drop Dead. You know, it's like uh. th- they ask the government, can we have a little money? You know, yeah. and, and uh, Ford, who happened to be the president at that time, <laughs> you know, said to New York City, effectively, drop dead. Yeah. Um, so, so they didn't have any money to continue the subway, and they didn't have any money to fill in the hole, really. So a hole, you know, second <laughs> it was, was – and there were boards across – so this is why the east. This is why the East Village was a for you know or the Lower East Side was so cheap. Okay, and also just so it was why there was the largest drug supermarket in the in the you know open air drug supermarket in the world, and why it was like because the hippies had moved out. Okay, 
um, um, you had to cross a wooden bridge <laughs> effectively to get there like you were in a Grimm's, like it was Grimm's fairy tale. Uh, <laughs> nobody wanted to live there. It was like you couldn't give these apartments away. His landlords were actively burning them down. It was like you would see them there like, you know, with like Molotov cocktails. Nobody even hid it. It was, it was, if New York City was beyond the law, this was beyond, beyond yeah. the law. There's was, a joke about it in Mad Men too where Peggy moves up to the Upper East Side and everyone's like, no, it's too dangerous. She's like, no, it'll be better when they have the Second Avenue subway. Yeah. And we watched that at a, we watched that episode at a bar in Brooklyn and everyone was like, ah! The place burst into laughter. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't this like uh, why they made that movie Escape from New York? It was It one was of, like pro- one positing very, like... Very uh, prescient movie. You know, in 19... It's like an... That's an 80s movie, right? Escape it is a late like, 70s movie, I think. But it's, they're basically like, uh, at a certain point, it's an island. It'll just be turned into a penal colony like... Uh, <laughs> well, Alcatraz. it was a, a, a wonderful fantasy. We all watched it and, and it was like... Uh, you know, it was supposed to be this ter- <laughs> terrifying vision. You know, it yeah, bore an incredible like resem- yeah. <laughs> incredible resemblance to our nightlife. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in 1978, 1979, and you know, frankly, looked fun as hell. You know, yeah. well, there were a lot of mm-hmm. films that were made in the uh, 70s and 80s about New York that were a pair. Um, they were like fantasy films about New York, like what a, uh, New York felt like, what it could be, like the Muppets Take Manhattan, yeah. right? Like P- the, that still that dream of the <laughs> that star is born kind of dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Joan Didion had said that California was the the stage for the playing out of the um, the subconscious mind, the fantasies yeah. of America. Right. California, the state of California. Yeah. But then it seemed like that shifted. Like it's I'm do people really still have like dreams of going to Hollywood and making it? Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, there definitely are people. I guess there dream. are people. There are, I know. So I went to a, a yeah, high school. Yeah. That had there a are very, doofuses that want to yeah, go on American do. Idol. But I mean, yeah. apart from no, them. No, my my last wife, uh, you know, um, um. Was she a famous Hollywood actress? No, she's a television producer out there. Um, she, she. Here's this one thing we used to say about amphetamine in Manhattan. We, <laughs> we, we used to say it makes nice people, it makes nice people mean and mean people evil. I realized I thought that was what they said about cocaine. No, amf- well, they maybe they said it about cocaine, but they started saying it about amphetamine. Okay. Um, uh, I, I realized when I went to Los Angeles that it was you could easily say that about Los Angeles as well. It makes nice people mean and mean people. Why evil. do you say Los Angeles that way? Um, <laughs> I don't know, and I, I do switch back and forth. Okay, um, I, I mean, it, <laughs> sorry, it, it's, it's indefensible. I know. I, <laughs> okay. I'll take myself to task for it later. Los Angeles um, later. <laughs> it's it's it was it was a you lots of people say it, both say it and said it like okay, that. Okay, I'm it's sorry like, to I, interrupt I grew you. Up, <laughs> I, I, I grew up with people saying that. So. Okay, okay. I'm but, sorry. Um, and also, people from the East Coast tend to say that as, uh, you know, as, as well. It's like nuclear. Nuclear? <laughs> something, it's not like nu- nuclear. Actually, you almost uh, something like that. It is. <laughs> but but I, I knew this. So so my, my last wife, I married her in um, New York, and she was a nice girl with a mean streak, okay? And we got to Los Angeles, and after a year, I realized that I was living with this uh, a mean girl with an evil streak, okay? And in oh, fact, shit. it was it was not, you, you know, it's... I mean, Los Angeles. You were clean at this point, were you? Yeah. Yeah. So it's so you're just like real. You're living with this person. Well, yeah. it's like this is what I watched show business. You, you know, I watched, I watched show business because show business out there is is rapacious. You know, it 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 it. They should have a little sign as you drive into the city that says "Check Soul here," <laughs> and um, 
it just t- it takes you know it, it it asks you a question as you as you you know, enter the profession out there it's like it says what will you do you yeah. know for the things that I can give you okay and will you do and then it presents you with 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 possi- with with feasibilities and and it doesn't and if you don't do them it goes hey it's okay there's someone else who will you know wait and I'm so, sorry for clarification this yeah. is L A in the nineties. L.A. in the, uh, no, the uh, aught thousands. Oh, okay. Mm. So this is just, okay. But that, they've been saying that stuff about the L.A. The only difference forever. between that and New York is that New York isn't, like, sunny and pretty, but it seems like those are a lot no, of no. sort of I things people are really... I think I was really in New York. New York in New York, you don't have to have a car. New York, mm-hmm. right. That, that, no, 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 no. New York well, yeah. is like, no, Los Angeles is built around that, uh, two businesses, you know, real estate and show business, okay? New York is built around many businesses and always has... New York show business is radically different, okay? Than, but in terms of success there, it is very much like every, you know, like Eleanor was saying, everybody from a small town that has a dream is in New York. And so it is very much like... Anyone doing willing to do anything will do it there. At least that was my experience, especially thought, like in the art in the art was, community, where it's like anyone will pick up any job they can just to be just to keep being there. I, def- I, I I've been to spend very little time in Los Angeles, but I felt when I was I lived in New York for four years, and I felt like I was meaner there. I think I think I was a meaner person, and I don't, and that's difficult for me. Like I'm not mm-hmm. good at that. But I think I got better at it, and that's something I didn't want to improve on. Whereas I was in L.A. for a little bit, and I was just like, I definitely, I was like, I can understand. I felt like it was very vapid. You didn't like the convertible. Well, because you. I hate the sun, actually. That's why I don't like it. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I know. That, like, long afternoon shadow that always makes me think of L.A. just from, like, movies set there in, like, the California land. I just hate that. That's, like, the worst time of day in summer for me is that, like, yeah, that feeling. the long and that's shadow as the sun LA. going out. I'm like, that, I feel like I'm in L.A. That unburnished sky. You yeah. know, See, um, I love the desert, so I'm, the I think no the clouds. desert is, like, a magical, mystical place because I think the thing I like about the desert is how there's so much life there if you know where to look for it. It's like mm-hmm. the secret world, I think. Like, if you, I just, I don't know. I think that's Maybe really that's neat. that's like L.A. There are good people. You just have to know which I don't know. There's not order. a ton of Gila monsters left in L.A., though, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're not going to find a, a whole lot of scorpions on La Cienega. You know, it's interesting, though, how, the, how quickly this conversation turned to Los Angeles, though. Yeah, Los Angeles and New York. What is it with those two And places? I don't think well, they're I, the opposites <laughs> of each other, though, either. I think they're both irrelevant now. <laughs> yeah. Because... Fuck, fuck the coast. Well, because yeah. places can't offer anything anymore. Right. Right. Because there's because like the what what to like if you have yeah, the dream of, of of one day doing the thing. I agree. What's stopping you now from creating whatever it is you want to create with all the tech like Well this was the reason why part of why I left New York or gave up trying to make it in New York. I cuz I mean particularly in the arts you know there's this talk of like artist for anyone or it can happen anywhere or whatever but then there's this like right. underline of like as long as it's New York or L.A. And I was just like, what? Like, yeah. well, I really hate the idea. Like, I, I am not. Maybe that's the mainstream art world or the successful art world. But my idea of art doesn't include the yeah. fact that, like, it can only happen in two cities in a country of how many people do we have? 300 million or something? Uh, it's almost 325 now. Yeah. Then I'm like, and I'm like, no, fuck that. There are a lot of great places and, in this country and, and it can happen anywhere. And I think to that point, or I it like, can't happen anywhere, but it can it happen can, more than two places. I like the idea <laughs> that, like. There's something really responsible to me or like and also kind of beautiful to this commitment to cultivating the community that you're from and Mm -hmm. making it the world you want that to be. I think obviously not everyone can do that. It is kind of a privilege to be able to do that. But I think it's a privilege worth considering Mm. on occasion. Well, (laughs) it's not necessarily a privilege because you find yourself there and you might not be able to leave it. So you're like, this is where I find home. That's true. Well, no, but no, I'm sorry. I meant the choice I think that making the choice, even if you could move uh, to L.A., 
or uh, yeah. or New York to stay and like make St. Well, Louis well, a better he, place is yeah. noble. I, I think the th- I think what we're I think the world we're living in. I, I mean, I what is how, how is that? What is I'm trying the to the world say? we're living in? This what is, is it I'm trying to say? Big here. idea. Um, <laughs> no, um, I mean Do, what we're learning. What this what these cities are. T- what economics is as economics te- <laughs> is telling us is that it's mm-hmm. is that these places is that a pl- is mm-hmm. that New York as that cultural center no longer exist. I mean, no one with a brain, okay, can be thinking to themselves, God, Jesus, I wish I just have to get to New York so I can make some art. Do you know yeah. what I, mean? I mean, and that hasn't happened for some time. Because it know? doesn't matter if and you're making the art in Brooklyn or if you're making it in Boise, Idaho. You're putting it on the same internet well, that everybody else has access I, I to. I think people are beginning to understand that. And I mean, forget the internet for a second, although that, of course, I think is is fantastically important to what we understand is like, dissemination is like how I mean one of the reasons you went to New York was because you had something to show people and you wanted to see stuff that other people had to show you and you just don't have to do that any longer I mean that lie that like no man it's like you have to be in the room okay you know just doesn't exist because well the notion of the room no longer exists Um, well we are our own rooms and 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 also it's and we are our own rooms as, (laughs) as, as you pointed out so so I'm I'm beginning to think that that people who are smart, and there are lots of people who are smart, are 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 beginning are, are thinking. Well, we won't. Go, we just won't go there. Do you know, I don't know where they are going, or where they're whether they're going to stay at home in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, uh, or Baton Rouge. You know, yeah. but but they're not. They're going to stop if you know if they haven't already. They're going to stop going to New York. You know, and no one with a brain go goes a, to Los Angeles. Okay, I just got to go, say this right they now. They go as a trip. Like particularly in the arts, you like everyone. Yeah, like you, I go if to you New look York at couple, like yeah. the three hundred okay, solo many? shows in Chelsea. How many of them are from not even not even not New York, but they're from other countries and other continents. To, to but my, that's where you do your show. Yeah, that makes so you go. Well, the, you I don't think, need to live there. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, I think this notion of this is the only place to have shows is is changing too. Oh yeah. It, it, the instant it becomes. I mean, genuinely unfriendly. It's already really unfriendly, but the instant mm-hmm. it becomes genuinely unfriendly, well, those those galleries will be redundant. You know, it's like yeah, they'll just they they'll cease to exist. Um, I mean, to Mike's point, though, about how um, you know did. you don't need to be in those in those places. You don't need to live there anymore. Or um, I think it's inter- it's interesting to me, at least, probably I don't know that. I didn't start this podcast until I moved to Chicago and back to Chicago. And I think it's because, as I was saying earlier about that's like glut of art, you know, that Eric mm-hmm. and I were talking about, like, there's like too many, too many cooks, too many artists, too, too many, many cooks. too many people making work that I felt like I was like, well, who needs my voice? Like, my, right. whatever, like, who cares what I have to say? And Andre was always pressuring me to do something. And I was like, and, and it's interesting to me that as soon as I get back home, I'm like, all of a sudden comfortable. Because well, like, because it also gives you like headspace. Yeah. And, and I don't. I'm not straight. constantly like, and also wishing physically I were dead. a room yeah. like this yeah. room that we're in. We, we could never have a room like this. You guys don't even the listeners. Yeah. This room right now. Is four, something. <laughs> four, four people are recording a podcast in here, and if this were New York City, four people would be living in here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say, I um, uh, I had to. Uh, and it's quiet outside. I had to go to work. <laughs> um, I went to work maybe once or twice a week okay uh uh f- per per 
like every two weeks. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and I can pay my rent. Mm-hmm. Do you know? I mean, it was I, I had rent. Humble brag. <laughs> I had rent in the double digits. Do you know? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so um. And you you kind of get a sense of that in Desperately Seeking Susan, where Patricia Arquette's job appears to be uh, earning twenty bucks a night as a, uh, a magician's assistant. <laughs> like that's a viable lifestyle choice. Well, there, is to, that's how you're earning and money. That is an overarching theme in a lot of those '80s New York movies. Because do you remember watching that movie, The Slaves of New York, where Bernadette Peters was like a hat maker? Right, and she's and like, I'm moving Steve to New York. Steve Buscemi eventually buys like a hat, and that just changes her and life. And she's like, someone bought one of my hats, well, here, here, and it's absurd. Like everyone has these like bizarre jobs that you could never. Only like, in New York. <laughs> well, here, let me let, let, just just to go back to um to what I was one thing I was saying before was that this is where you know the 1980s is still making 1970s movies. Oh, okay. Oh, so you think is that's that, more okay? Yes, because you, you know this. It's that when you speak of the fantasy, and you're right. It is by the time Slaves of New York comes out. Or desperately seeking Susan. So what an you inappropriate know. name, by the way. Those people are not slaves. <laughs> Tama Janowitz. She had a, uh, I believe she had a newspaper column called Slaves of New York. Ugh. I think. Oh, I can't remember. She w- she wrote for Details or some. And mm-hmm. there we go. Details. There's talk about the here's the 1980s appears with something like Details. Okay. <laughs> um, um, uh, a magazine chronicling the types of socks that people are wearing. At the Mud Club, do you know what I mean? Okay. Oh, visible only at four in the morning. Jesus okay. Christ! It's like, yeah. and this is a magazine that actually makes money. Okay, yeah. or or you know, is or so many things were funded by people with money, and you didn't know. Like Dan Soteria was owned by um, this fellow named Rudolph. I, nobody even knew his last name. Okay, yes. Ru- Rudolph <laughs> Arnheim. <laughs> and and Rudolph clearly had a lot of money, enough money to keep a nightclub open for like y- y- you know. It was Giuliani. I had a big Three gin years. blossom. His nose was real red. Um, but but it's like yes, in Slaves of New York is a is a uh, uh, in the s- yeah in the same way that remember that. Oh, never mind. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 thinking it's thinking in terms of 1970s, even though it's in the 1980s. That's what when Bernadette Peters is like, I'm a hat maker. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I make hats in it's 19 in 1975, uh, you could you could go and work at the Barbizon Hotel for women two nights a week, you know, and and go home and make hats, you know, <laughs> eight, 18, 18 days a week. You, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like and still pay your rent well, and still have enough money to buy. You there's know, there's been a, a lot of talk lately about. Uh, I mean, mostly me. <laughs> saying Andre's been talking a lot. Been a lot of chatter. I've the... been boring people to death lately with these ideas about, uh, you know, the what the economy will look like in the future. Post scarcity society. You know, when we have fewer jobs and we have to come up with a way of dealing with this that doesn't involve creating new jobs, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So well, if there has already been a functional, highly productive. Uh, place in America where people were not working 40 hours a week, but were still living in a way that made them happy, then it's, is this not a model that we can examine for our potential future? Was this like 40 hour work week where people were pulling their hair out? Was it always only just like a momentary blip that, uh, you know, made people miserable? Well, Andre, I think, I think it's, it's definitely true that there are like fewer jobs, job jobs, like forty hour a week jobs. But I find it interesting. Like everybody I know is a freelancer. But I well, this is to my point. I think that I'm going to make is that 
I see like people on Etsy trying to make like a little bit of extra cash oh, by like, Jesus. look at these hangers I made out of dandelions, and it's like, the, so look it, at these earrings uh, I made out of hangers. Yeah, yeah, look at yeah, look at yeah, look at these hangers I made out of earrings. Um, and I think there's this sort of like, so hmm. even though there's like fewer forty hours a week jobs, there's like a lot more jobs that are like tiny ones that people are using to supplement their income or not even supplement. Not. Like, is well, there you- tiny meager income? And I think that that's something that even though there are fewer forty hour a week jobs, there are more of these like vocations that people are taking on and calling themselves artists in certain and being being artists but the problem is the the person that has that hanger earring shop is not making a whole lot of money and they have what and they have eighty thousand dollars in master of fine arts yeah yeah i'm not saying this is like a sustainable model i'm just something it's something i'm noticing is happening yeah no totally but i'm just thinking about like the back like in the past you wouldn't have been you wouldn't have gotten a bachelor's degree in art and then gotten a master's degree in art and then you're like sock knitting is my true it's <laughs> my true passion. well this is this is what you get when when you people are, tell you over and over and over again I mean, it's like a return to the 1950s in a weird sort of way. It's like um, when people tell you over and over again, yeah, well, you know, wanting to be an actor is great or wanting to be a sculptor is great or wanting to be like a modern musician is great. But, you know, you got to have something to fall back on, you know. So so it becomes, you know, you read this in like occasionally I'll read like threads, you you know, you know what those things thread things are, right? Yes, on the okay. internet. Yes, yeah, th- that's, internet threads, yes. <laughs> that's, that's the, that the word's new for me. Okay. Okay. But uh, where where you, you'll find, you know, someone will say like, yeah, but I really, I really want to make candles, you know, and then <laughs> somewhere in the thread, it'll be like, yeah, well, you better make candles that someone wants to buy, you yeah. know, so, so the ethic then becomes, how can I make money with my art? Um, I'll just use those two words, punk rock, again. Okay. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine a world that wanted punk rock in 1974? I can't. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, the only thing punk rock had going for it was, you know, that shitty like bar downtown guy. where the like the five people who liked it could come to see it. If you mm-hmm. had to actually like like sell it as you were playing it, you know, mm-hmm. it just it wouldn't have happened. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if the Wooster Group had to sell the stuff they made initially you, you know as they were making it it never would have happened you know i mean it just it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have happened There's but so they're, many they're things pretty they're great at selling stuff nowadays well oh, yes yeah. because you know liz is among other things god bless her of uh, one of the shrewdest producers i i know she's yeah. she's one she's it, i mean who, who knew okay i mean she learned how to do this it's like she's she's one of the shrewdest yeah, it's, it's well, a large part of our producer, relationship yeah. now with the 80s. I think at least my relationship is seeing uh, people who at the time built a brand for themselves as being um, struggling, independent, adventurous, confrontational, transgressive artists who like people like Marina Abramovich, who've now oh, become yeah. these international uh, figures who make a ton of money by uh, capitalizing on their reputation. Yeah. What about Madonna? And, and an imagined past or a real past? Well, Madonna was capitalizing as the second she got there. Right, but that I mean that's what desperately seeking Susan Th- there is. There is about. no difference actually between Madonna and Marina Abramovic. I, I te- that's yeah, that, an that excellent an excellent point. And we mm-hmm. can't come down on Marina for conducting herself like Madonna, nor can we come down on Madonna for conducting herself like Madonna. Well, hey, Marina no, Abramovic. if I were Marina Abramovich, I would be cashing in too. I I like money as much as anybody. That is untrue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I that mean, is that is a patently false. Patently, yes, it's yes. patently false. If I hate money so much, how come I got so much of it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that Touché. the reason that I have a hard time with people like Marina Abramovich 
is because I hate it when people do the same thing over and over again and then like unless that's their bit <laughs> unless that's their bit but like I don't understand why people are so excited about performance art now and why it has to be that like well, what is you're, you're very right I mean that's it's talk about something that should be long dead and gone it's like, you know I, it's performance I, art excuse I me I went right? to a fucking <laughs> conference recently this is actually a couple of years ago now but and someone was doing like a fucking meat joy thing it's the and new, I couldn't believe it I was like it's like this they didn't it's like the 70s days didn't it's, happen they, it's the like, new academo what? speak you know mm-hmm. uh, I mean we again this shouldn't come as news to anyone in this room it's the you know performative you know performative normative okay it's the yeah, new yeah, way yeah. academics talk to each other it's yeah. not you know oh, it's yeah, not yeah. Um, so that's how I talk to myself it's a, it's a traceable lineage <laughs> until this. that yeah. until that goes away yes mm. we are performance art is going to be with us it's sad you know yeah. but see here's what well the best performance art is stand up comedy now anyway you know here, here's what's <laughs> kind of here, maybe this is worth examining you know New York City doesn't really go bad okay as a place where like cool fun stuff happens okay until sometime like it, the 1980s really kills it it like puts a you know, uh, an arrow through the heart. I mean, I mean, you know, think about it. Okay, the twenties. Okay, you know, and and um, you know that little theater movement. Modern Martha right, right. Martha Graham. Okay, yeah. you know the thirties. Okay, it weathers the the. I mean, the, the, excuse me, the the Mercury Theater. Do you know it's yeah. like you know um the group theater. Okay, yeah. the forties. Forties uh, abstract theater. expressionism starts to happen. Okay, the mm. you know the beats start to happen. Fifties. You know mm. beatniks. Okay, and you know sixties the giant hippie collectives. You know and and hippies. You know mm. just hip. You know and and still New York City just you know doesn't it doesn't go bad it doesn't like make itself unacceptable or un it doesn't make these people unwelcome okay but at, at no at no point were any of those things being commodified in New York while they were being made bingo right it's like right. commodification what about doesn't pop art though uh, well, it's, it's, what about pop art though yeah actually what, what, <laughs> what, what, what's, like, well, what's your I question mean, what's your, what's well, the question that, about I would pop say art? That, that Warhol would be the the exception to that of it being co- commodified as it was made. Well, here's the like, weird. I am commodity. Here's the weird thing about yeah. But here's the weird thing about he was wh- shit wh- poor at commodifying wh- wh- it though. Well, here's well he, he no he Not wasn't poor he wasn't <laughs> poor at it. Here's what I think Andy did to to subvert you know the very like yeah pay lots of money for my stuff is that every time people started paying too much money for it he'd switch. He'd say, I'm not a painter, right. painter anymore. Yeah, I'm a movie maker. I'm not. I don't make movies anymore. I'm a rock and roll record producer. I'm not yeah. a. I'm not a movie maker anymore. I, I, I run a magazine. He was a genius. Okay, yeah. at subverting. Yeah. Even though his, he couldn't. He fell over money. People threw money at him, and he yeah. kept trying to dodge it, saying, I don't. You know. Okay, I'll take this much money, but please stop. Enough. I don't yeah. do that anymore. Yeah. I make movies. You know. Yeah. I mean, and each time the stuff got more and more dangerous. Okay, and more, more and more like, like I, I swear, I, you won't be able to look into this and and find. You won't be able to come out of this you know yeah come out of go ahead commodify the velvet underground you know go ahead commodify these these eight millimeter like movies i'm making okay? yeah the, commodified drag queens the, the okay? films that he made and, and, they d- and the and music that he produced mm-hmm. and the the kind of books and and the art that he was making it didn't it seemed like it really got to a point where people were willing to move to new york and start doing exactly the same thing in a large way until the 90s Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Here, what? How did this? How did? How did Warhol not ruin the '60s? I think, I think part of it is the conflation of the hippies around. You know, just in that the hippies, you know, did a great job of taking, you know, uh, of colonizing New York in their own image and likeness, and then and then killing themselves. Okay, right. you know, amphetamine deaths were like no joke. You know, and then you know the the. The, the heroin lemmings thing and, and then and then moving away to the country, moving away to Woodstock, you know, and which left, you know, New York City barren. I mean, that's one of the reasons the East Village was like was was ba- it was barren. The hippies were all gone. You know, Wait, I think that it's not a coincidence that uh. the 80s 
was when this uh, community or this group of communities start to to get uh, distributed and commodified and sold to the rest of the country and start you start encouraging people to move to New York around the time when the technology allowed it to be uh, distributed really quickly, really easily through video cassettes. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. What, well, that's, what, what technology are we talking about? People seeing movies of, in no. Santa Fe? Well, people... Seeing Desperately Seeking Susan. Yeah. I, Santa think, Santa. I think in the 70s mm. in the United States, uh, colleges all over the U.S. started to uh, teach New York art as, as like the where art, uh, like how America can contribute to the world. Right. Like and then also Excellent point. the way that uh, this stuff got uh, distributed out to the rest of the country was on, you know, cable television and on VHS cassettes. Yeah. And in, uh, you know, to a certain degree, uh, you know, MTV. Yeah. No, I wanted I wanted to say that because the first question was like, what's yeah. your sound of the 80s? Yeah. And uh, I think. What also we hear this room tone like for me it is it is the audio cassette it's that beige yeah David, the Dolby beige, hiss yeah the Dolby hiss with the DGC logo yeah. from David Geffen and the way everything smoothly fades in and out and singles and like riding around the car listening to like whatever my sisters had on because they were older it, so, the eighties was also the beginning of uh, corporate radio and yeah. the you know, you mass standardization well in the way so, that you can't think of like I can't think of eighties songs without the MTV video that corresponded yeah. like if you listen to just the song to me it's like sort of like not actually yeah it's listening like, to the song it's like when people whenever I remember trying to watch a Disney movie that had been put onto DVD and I was like horrified I was like this is not Aladdin. Where's, where's the white noise? This. Yeah, but yeah. I think I think the sound of the '80s for me is the HBO static sound. Hmm. I think, but and the I think <laughs> the thing I was trying to sort of make a point about in my monologue was the sort of the idea of the '80s as like this, um, both collapsing and of like domains of experience like sound, sight, mm. sensation, and also the fusion of them. So like this idea of like 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 and how and how the fusion of like the audio and the visual through the music video. Um, is sort of this new aesthetic and also media that is mm. comes to dominate like my understanding of what the '80s is and, and produced and made us. I think, and I I find that that static, that sound of the static and the gray, you know, ants mm -hmm. on the on the TV to be this perfect emblem of that. Well, to me, yeah. yes, Andre. I was thinking that there's another thing, which is that people started going to college. <laughs> in the 70s, uh, the it was actually started in the late 60s. The number, it had been pretty static for um, like 100 years. Mm -hmm. About Do you mean women started going to college? Well, no, no. women and men. Uh, I, they, I know they, what he's saying. There yeah. was, it was a, about 20% of people in the United States, men, 20% mm -hmm. of men in the United States uh, would go to get a college degree. Right. And then in the 60s, there uh, started to be uh, financial resources made available to people yeah. in the United States that made it possible. And and, the, and also the economy yeah. was shifting over from manufacturing into a service-based economy where you were um, more likely to find rewarding work with a degree. You weren't learning a trade necessarily. Right. Yeah. So now, you know... Also the, the war, yeah. don't forget the war offered in, offered you an incentive to go to college as right. well. And right, and the number of wars. There's World War Two, and then the Korean yeah. War and yeah. then... Vietnam, mm -hmm. and so there are people coming back from Vietnam and going to college. Well, I don't, I don't think, uh, and these people the go GI to college, Bill, and in college the they learn that New York City is where art is. The mm -hmm. GI Bill came out of World War II, though, right? I don't, that they weren't mm -hmm. like yeah. get 
go to World War II and then get a college degree. <laughs> go they were fight more in the like, Second World War. They had to write the it was G.I. A, it Bill. It was a little bit they easier to, to the... sell World War II to people. You no, know? they had to write was, the G.I. Bill after World it was, War Yeah, II. it was a cool reward. It was like, oh, yeah. okay, you guys came back and some of you with, you know, one leg and all that sort of stuff. Here's some stuff. Here's a reward. Here's yeah. a house. Here's And yeah, you, you, you can go to college for free. And you could go anywhere. This you know? is actually Christ, the... you could go to Oxford. The birth I mean? of the yeah. MFA as it currently exists as a professional degree. Because yeah. before World War II, the... Um, Studio Art MFA was almost entirely earned by women who were learning oh, yeah. how to be uh, uh, teachers in um, secondary school. Right. And then uh, after the war, there were all these people that had this GI Bill money. And so they decided to go to college and study art because they were interested in art. And that's how, you know, all these men started getting into MFA programs. Right. Mm-hmm. And it became this thing about like, you know, I want to be Jackson Pollock or I want to be, uh, you know, Andy Warhol. You know, and that the degree that you get for that is the MFA, and that that was which ironically I don't think either of them have. I think Andy might have no had no Andy Andy does yeah he has a bachelor's from but Coding like Pollock, him. he's got a degree in America. Yeah. So you're well, Andre. What I hear you positing is, uh, uh, I mean, b- b- couple Education of s- statements bad. ago. No, um, is that is is that New York City is effectively neutered? Okay, in. Um, in the 1980s by some stuff, you know, money, whatever, you know, uh, celebrity. Economics, okay. technology, politics, all the things that were acting on the people yeah. in the United States to cause New York City to become the... Because the thing is that New York City, as you were saying before, you were saying it wasn't a place where people were like, well, but, if I have to choose a place to live, I want to live in New York City. I mean, you'd talk to people like in Milwaukee, okay? And you'd go like, yeah, why don't you come to New York? And they'd go like, man, have you seen Taxi Driver? <laughs> yeah. it's like, no, I mean, people didn't... It was a dangerous place. Place. Do you know it? Um, it you know dangerous things happen to you. You got mugged more often. You know, I mean, for, uh, for, it, bad stuff happened. Okay, so it was sort of a surprise, you know, to to be in the city and discover that uh, uh, it felt secret. It felt like a secret society. Okay, mm-hmm. and um, because of the, uh, several of these things you mentioned, I think it becomes less of a secret society. People go there and discover that in fact it's not dangerous and it's really fun. This happens in the 1980s, and somehow all of this stuff. You know, time being what it is and telescoping really fast, yeah. it, it both, you know, everyone discovers that it's really fun, they can be there, and then it gets ruined. Do you know? It, it, yeah, it, it, uh, David Sedaris. It somehow implodes on itself, you know? He's got a great, one of his earlier books, he has a great story about that. And he, he's referring to Giuliani, but I think it was starting before that where he calls it like trying to turn his city into Disneyland. Oh, and it was yeah. all about this friend of his that had like a friend from back home come, and then she's just like, only wants to go to like all the tourist spots and then like just talks about how rude everyone is and then the whole the whole point of the essay is like well now now that we're like trying to appeal to that kind of crowd it's like we can't be our usual like bitchy selves because it's like they're expecting this certain type of service industry that they get oh, everywhere yeah. else in America and they want this like the warping of the New Yorker yeah yeah well it's the same thing that happens anywhere in the world when the primary economy becomes tourism Right. Right. When you start having to sell your Self. very existence mm-hmm. yeah. to everyone on earth. And that's what New York is experiencing. Like mm-hmm. it's selling itself to people, to Russian oil uh, billionaires and to, you know, to rich kids of uh, like, uh, you know, natural gas uh, magnates and, you know, the. But it's also selling itself to all the people that are in the audience at Jimmy Fallon that are like wearing their like wisconsin badgers sweatshirt and they're talking about how they 
Yeah. They're from Norman, Oklahoma, and <laughs> yeah, what are you doing here? And then <laughs> well, they're like, well, we're going to have the Roots write a rap about you liking corn. Well, the yeah. other thing, though, is that yeah. if, you're, if you do end up getting a college education, it changes the things that you like. And if you get the college education and it changes the things that you like, then you're less likely to want to go on vacation to Disneyland, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, if you are, you know, you spend a certain amount of your life uh, learning about uh, Marina Abramovich, then, you know, uh, the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride is a lot less fun. Yeah, if you don't want to go on the, uh, but the Weezer tour. How about people who, who know about Marina Abramovich and yet still want to go on the 20,000 under the See, league, yeah. yeah, I feel really right. like left out of this conversation in the sense that I think that it's really difficult for me to understand how people go like like because you're talking about artists, like artists go to college and cha- and ch- college changes the things. Well, also like. people who go for liberal arts or people who yeah. go for anything, anything. And, yeah. you know. And but I don't think but, would but Vampire are, Weekend have fans. I mean, but there are plenty of people that go to college and are like unchanged by it. Actually, uh, yeah. isn't that kind of the norm, really? Like, I don't know. I feel like sure, I'll but we, be in... we only need a certain number of people. And, and how many people in the United States go to New York City uh, as a vacation or tourist spot each year? It's not every single human being in the country. It's certainly not every college graduate. But even if it's just one percent, that's more than enough. Dude, to there's plenty destroy of destroy New York City. Watch, fair, watch yeah. Jimmy Fallon live. There are plenty of college. No, or not I don't want to watch uneducated Jimmy people that that go to New York. Like, I mean, you you've been to Times Square. You or yeah. No, you don't, because you were living there, so you never went to Times Square. <laughs> I know, I but, used to work in Times Square. But yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. totally, I mean, it doesn't matter what level of education you have. That that actually, New York and going to Times Square to be there for New Year's or whatever, Honestly, or to be in the Jimmy Fallon audience, is the same exact thing as saying, well, last year we took the family to Disneyland. This year we're going to but New the, York. But Disneyland so. is, the problem with it as a, a vacation spot is that you get there and there are rides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. New right? York has a subway. <laughs> right. God, but and what a ride it is. You can take the ferry out to the Lady Liberty. But what is the appeal of a ride? Like, say, I don't know, a roller coaster, right? There are roller Nothing. coasters in, in pretty much like every state in the United States, right? There are theme parks that you can visit where you can go on big rides at Carowinds or Six Flags or whatever. And... So it doesn't really, like, anything that can be reproduced is reproduced, mm-hmm. right? And the only things that become valuable are those things which are not infinitely reproducible. And this is, the, like, the post-scarcity mm-hmm. issue regarding right. culture. We are at a post-scarcity space culture-wise where you can, you can have a water park, like in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, you can have six yeah, water yeah. parks in Nowheresville, Indiana, and all of a sudden it's impossible no matter how much money you have to create a place that actually appeals to people unless you have cultural capital. Also, I think it's really interesting in New York the way that Giuliani was so invested in making New York kids friendly because I remember taking several children that I nannied for down to like the shitty Chuck E. Cheese up in um down in like uh in Park Slope area and mm. it's like and it, like people from like all economic all two economic classes yeah. in New York City were there. Like and it was just it was like cuz it's Chuck E. Cheese and that's where that's where the kids go, you know. Like that's that's you know, that's always kids. useful. Like that's always going to be necessary, and so yeah, like you're saying, then this post scarcity space, the thing that becomes valuable, are the things that people. What I'm saying, what I'm saying though, is that Times Square is Disneyland. I mean, it's the same sort of adventure mm-hmm. that Epcot Center offers, and yeah. that's why. That, yeah. And New York has, I'd say, it has more 
diverse tourism because you have people that really are there just to see a specific show on Broadway or people that are there to go to the Met, be it the opera or the museum. Hey, <laughs> yeah. um, but then you also have people that are like, I want to go to Times Square and then we're going to take the ferry out to Liberty Island or whatever that place <laughs> is called. Statue of Liberty Land. And, uh, you know, yeah. I'm going to get a T-shirt that says I heart New York. Yeah. and uh, I, But this is, I think, increasingly not the way that New York is marketing itself. Right. Outside to the world. Like, you see advertisements in taxis. Like, the the Taylor Swift, uh, Welcome to New York. Yeah. I mean, she's not like... She's hey, been lambasted for that song, though, like, so bad. I don't think that's... Yeah, yeah that's not fair. I mean, did well, anyone caught Jay-Z and uh, what's his name for their New York song? Well, but he's from New York. Oh. She's from Connecticut. Oh. She, she grew up on a Christmas tree farm. She should. That would Isn't be. Isn't that the funniest thing in the world? Why doesn't she sing a song about come to my Christmas tree farm? I, I would listen to that song. be full of sexual innuendo. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Eric. I think that if there is something that possibly still exists in New York City that people are uh, commodifying and marketing out, it's the idea that you might have access to a cultural concept before other people. Like oh, yeah. Last definitely. March, Eleanor and I were in... Uh, New York, and we saw Hannibal Burris do his weekly Sunday show at uh, the Knitting Factory, and he starts to do this new routine he's working on about uh, how Bill Cosby... It's like this time last year, yeah. Yeah, about how Bill Cosby had been, uh, you know, sexually assaulting women for decades. And, you know, we thought, oh, that's fun. Oh, it's neat that he's being so aggressive, you know, because it's normally (laughs) kind of strange to be that critical of Bill Cosby. Yeah. And then it, nothing happened for six months. And And then then all the fucking sudden he tells the joke. Yeah. Yeah, he tells it in like St. Louis or something and the world catches fire and his life changes. And yeah, but that's, and yeah, and that is sort of a cool, my best experiences in New York were like going to see theater and comedy moments, like things that were so so the norm, like going to see Wyatt Cenac or, or Kristen Shaw like every week, like that was something that you it's can't. It's not yeah. reproducible because these are human beings yeah, that yeah. don't exist physically in other parts yeah. of the country. And even if they were uh, producing media that was being distributed uh, globally instantly, like their podcasts, and a lot of these people do have podcasts, mm-hmm. that, you know, they the the real immediate stuff was happening where these people were and where these people were was New York City, mm-hmm. right? And theater, right? The theater in New York. This is a thing that can't be reproduced mm-hmm. and distributed, right? Sorry, yeah. Luigi just got on the... F- he was sitting in Eric's lap and then he just got on the rug solely so that more people could see him lick his balls. Like that is... Er- not his, not even his balls because he doesn't have them anymore. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, it's just really gross. Okay, sorry. Oh, I thought you were like, and it's awesome. <laughs> I needed everyone to know I be- that I this is what I believe that's called his penis. His penis. Oh, yeah. Yes. His red rocket. Anyway. <laughs> you know that part that's not the balls? <laughs> So, okay. so Andre, does this continue to happen? Will will it will it can you know this you're you know because you're you're you know you're making a great guy. You listen to you guys talk, and I go like, wow, you saw stuff that you know you couldn't see anywhere else. And you know, I had already you know given up. I you know I don't go back anymore, and and I don't know these people you're talking about. So, mm-hmm. does this continue to take place? And does it continue to take place there? And will it continue to take place? And will it continue to take place there? I don't see how. I mean, the technology yeah, has changed to a degree where it's it's possible now for anyone to have access to modes of distribution that allow you to have pretty much the, the, an audience the size of the entire world whenever you want for nothing. Yeah. So what is the... <clears throat> why 
like there are people that are still, you know, living in New York or L.A. and having their weekly uh, show and, you know, producing stuff. And and this stuff is fun and cool and it's not available elsewhere. But how long? I don't know. Maybe not long at all. Do you think it still is the community, though, like the people you're hanging out with like that? Not just who's in the room or whatever, but actually that there is something about creative energy. and Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, here, well, well the, there's definitely a thing about creative energy and creative communities, but the question is, do communities need to physically exist or can they exist virtually? No, they can't. Let, let me yeah. uh, let me say something I don't know how to say either and, okay. and may regret, may in fact regret saying. Um, do it. Is it, are things that are made there and things that will be made that or in these places, you know, that are now sort of redundant or unimportant and I'm making quote marks mm-hmm. um, uh, is it important do you know I mean is it I you know not to put too fine a point on it but I um, I do think let's say of punk rock I mean you know music mid 1970s circa 1970s specifically in New York as like the last gasp okay you know of some kind of radical aesthetic uh, yeah. that I will witness in my lifetime okay no you know now I, I maybe I'm just being a big dick here you know I mean and or or an old fogey okay? well, there's, there's yes. never nothing's ever going to be as good as punk well, rock. well there's just not no, a lot of what I'm saying you know when I say radical aesthetic you know I mean a radical aesthetic you know as some 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 giant cultural well, shift. I, how okay. transgressive can anything really be anymore, though? Well, I think, I mean, what, I, what, come on, Oh, guys. wait, 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 wait. I think to go back to to what Mike was saying a couple, just now and a little bit before, too, the uh, the idea, like, because you were like, nobody wanted punk, so it wasn't sellable. Like, there wasn't any, there wasn't any demand for it. And they, they didn't even create demand, because that would be the other thing, like, the NBA thing would be like, we've got to create, you have to do two things, either do something there's a demand for or create demand for the thing you're already making. Um, Mm -hmm. But it wasn't either of those things. It was very messy. And that's what you're saying, like a radical aesthetic. It was very messy and they just did what they did and they did it there because that's where they were. And that's where that's all shifted now, where it's all attempting to be very calculated and very like, I need to be here to make this happen, to make that and I need to act this way to make that thing happen and that's where it becomes kind of neutered and stuff because it doesn't have the like well just this is what we're doing and fuck it 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 had the 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 character of um I'm yeah, his words have just sort sort of deserted me. But but you're, you're right. It was so, it was so divorced from the notion of demand or selling or um or or w- this needs to be made because somebody has expressed an interest in it. You know. Um, but that's the way that independent film is now. You know, like nobody wants any of these movies. Oh well, wait wait, have, wait a minute. W- I have an opinion about independent film. But what, the floor <laughs> the floor recognizes Eleanor. I am raising my Eleanor hand right Russell. now. Mm-hmm. I think though that. One Mm -hmm. radical thing that has happened that has changed the way that people make art is something that we've been sort of alluding to throughout this whole conversation, which is to say um, technology is like if you have a fucking Internet connection and you have the equipment, you can start a fucking podcast like you can do Mm -hmm. that. Excellent. You don't need. And I mean, yeah, at the same time, it's, it's very similar, I think, to this sort of like scrappy everyone working together to make put on a big show, you know, but it's not. I like this idea of like making art not being a big show like making a thing making work doesn't have to be a big deal it doesn't have to be like a radical paradigm shift it can just be a thing that makes you closer to your friends but when you lower the stakes 
and the stakes are certainly lower now than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Then the result <laughs> is. Are you serious? <laughs> what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> I feel like <laughs> like the stakes of required stakes for art are, making. Like yeah. art used to cost money, and now mm-hmm. it doesn't. And art no, used to it, no, it costs a ton of money to make art now. What art? All the all the the people that that have engineers and studio managers and six galleries and everyone yeah, but those people and so uh, they they fi- they spend the money because they have it right right well finish but finish, that's the finish art your, that finish your thought because I, I want to hear this thought yeah and then we're gonna wrap up we'll do plugs after <laughs> oh yeah definitely want to do plugs <laughs> yeah anyway sorry finish your point hair out. plugs. <laughs> Oh no! Plugging our future. But okay, <laughs> anything well, fin- but, but fin- plugs. Finish your thought, <laughs> Andre. Oh me? Yeah, yeah you. You. Oh. Okay. You were. You we want to hear you. You were speaking. The stakes are so yeah. low now yeah. because it doesn't cost money to make it, and it doesn't cost money to distribute it. And you know, if you do a really good job and make something great, you can't turn that into a career. So, since the stakes are so incredibly low. There's not really a whole lot encouraging people to give a damn about the work itself except for the quality of the work. And, you know, the quality of the work was never a huge yeah. motivating factor for people who wanted to make things. That's never been. Especially a the people especially who were part of the historical avant-garde in the United States in the second half of the 20th century. They were the, you know, the biggest proponents of the idea that quality is the first thing to go out the window. Yeah. Or what we imagine yeah, yeah, to right. be well, the right, definition right. of quality, quality or mastery or yeah. like appealing to a certain kind of mainstream aesthetic. Yeah, right. 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 I mean, the notion that 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 yeah, someone can yeah yeah. Then this the idea of quality change changes radically and very quickly from from like, artist to artist. Like know? if you can make a really good pizza, that's great. And you know, <laughs> and, I agree. And scene, <laughs> and you can have people over to your house and make a really great pizza, and they'll enjoy it, and that won't change the world for anybody. Yeah, but It'll that change might the world for the people that ate that exactly. pizza. Exactly. But that's what the but that's what art is now. It's a thing that you make in your house with your friends that they enjoy that day, and maybe you show a picture of what you did on uh, social media, but it no longer has the stakes that make it necessary for it to be. Culturally important. Fascinating. What 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 an what a, what an interesting theory. I, I like this a lot. Okay. Yeah. So so what does that make? Well, you you've just radically changed the the definition of art. You know what yeah. what art is. Do you know? Well, I think also that there's this. I think that's always been true though for performance. I think that live performance has always been about that idea. So, so just to be clear, we're not talking about the like YouTuber that then gets a talk show on E. But the thing is that the YouTuber who make, gets the talk show, the talk show is like 1% as important to people as the thing that went viral that made them right. famous in the first place. Right. Okay. So it's never like the the way that art can possibly change people's lives is so much easier and so much smaller than it has ever been. Yeah. You know? It, it's somewhere – it's – it, it just doesn't make We're sense to move all the way to New York to to make to, art when art is just a thing that you do with your friends when you feel like having a good time with them. Yeah, it's it's what you're saying is this is CBGBs right here. Right. Um, there's a million of them across and the United States. And there's a million. And there's a CBGBs next door. And there's a, and, and the stakes are so low that it doesn't matter and never will again. Well, well, what's bad, though? I think, no, no, I that's think not. What you're positing is a really ba- nice thing. I don't think it's bad either. Yeah, I don't. Neither. I don't necessarily. think necessarily. I don't think it's bad either. It doesn't make as much noise, okay, as the CBGBs down on the Bowery, okay, and and and. And I think what society 
is going to have to do is understand that eventually that in fact you know that the big st- I, perhaps this is a you know some sort of trajectory the big stuff doesn't matter i like how not butch it is i like how it's you're, like you're this very, right very about that. vulnerable yeah. like intimate thing that happens i like how it's not like grands like not it's necessarily grands it's, it's very beta the kind of art i make is pretty you, beta but no, it does like but that, like d- one thing that's awful yeah, about it though alpha. is that it discourages Ambition. a long time of uh critical awareness of of the work right it discourages you from getting a thousand people across the world to spend their lives studying this thing that you made because there's so much of it because the stakes are so low for each individual work that it doesn't make there's not going to be like you know there were only a few people in new york city in the 40s making abstract expressionist paintings right 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 Mm. eric is probably better qualified to talk about this subject but anybody who was because he was was one of them abstract (laughs) all right so if there were if it were possible for a person with a phd in art history to know everything about 1940s new york abstract expressionist paintings then, you know, every single one of those paintings mattered. I think I don't... And now it's so impossible yeah. that it, there, there's no way yeah. that it will ever... No no individual works will ever matter again. Well, well here then here is this radical shift in what art is. Then. Yeah. You know, here here's the new definition. You know, yeah. art is the cosmos. I think my problem with this... with I agree with everything you're saying, Andre, except I think framing it in terms of the stakes being high or not is not a hundred percent appropriate or accurate because I think I think that they're like not everyone even like the uh, latter part of the 20th century like avant-garde artists weren't always necessarily trying to change the world insofar as it's mm-hmm. making a political statement I think what they're what a lot of these artists are trying to do is change themselves yeah. and this idea of self-transformation and like you know whether that's like understood as like an apotheosis or it's just like a radical examination of the self and that's what I think is still happening in these like little interior little theaters sort of that is yeah. the world now in this art making uh in this new art milieu or art well, world. Does, doesn't it not being everywhere make make that rarity valuable I wait. What do you say mean? that a different way, yes. Eric? I, I didn't understand. Well, the, the, whether the fact that it is, you know, it's a small group of people in their apartment or whatever having this particular moment that's special. It's our most meta episode. And shared, and shared, you know. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that make it rarer in that sense? Because it's not, it's not something done to be exclusive, but it's also not meant to be inclusive. It's a thing that happens with. A particular group of people at a specific time. It's personal time. and it's social. It's yeah, personal and, and, and it's the me, collapsing yeah. of the public and private. It and, makes and that, that makes it valuable yeah. to me. That makes it valuable me because too. it's yeah. not. It's also the destruction of the um, society, the spectacle. Because when yeah. spectacular images are no longer being constructed and distributed, then you know people are constructing their own mediated lives yeah. based on the media that they big build and distribute for themselves. Yeah. I'm gonna Amen. make I'm gonna make one final point and then I'm gonna move on to plugs. I'm gonna say unless Mike wants to say something. No, no, I'm I want to hear what you say about hair plugs. I, I, okay. I really do. <laughs> All right. Um, I think I think that the what the thing that's most attractive to me about this new art process is that, like I was saying earlier about the collapsing of the public and private, is like this way of like it, and there's like this real friendship and intimacy and vulnerability and it's this ways that we're all like sort of like. I'm, my lo- my lifelong journey is to understand the relationship, like what constitutes performance in terms of like being alone and how we are alone in public. Like being alone in public to me seems this really mm. important experience that I had living in New York and living in Chicago and living in the world. 
And I think, but and I think New York as a as a city, particularly in the 1980s, I tried to sort of get that in my monologue, is a really great petri dish, as Mike's term was, for this experience of being alone in public. And I think it foreshadowed what I'm talking about, what we're talking about today in terms of how art making has changed in these smaller communities. Um, so with that thought, let's move on to plugs. I will start because I want to wish uh, my three-year-old nephew, Foster, who's definitely not listening to this, he's probably mm. asleep by now, happy birthday because today is his birthday. I love you very much. I hope you get all the trains that you want. All right, so that's my plug. Andre, do you have a plug? Oh, sure, sure, yeah. Um, uh, today is the 29th of March, 2015, so it's 30 years since uh, Desperately Seeking Susan was released to the day, which is nice. Which was an accident, a beautiful, yeah. happy accident. Uh, but also um, on May 11th of 2015, my movie, uh, uh, my first feature, uh, Christmas on Earth, Joe Renono's Yuletide Log and Other Fruitcakes, will be <laughs> premiering at uh, Videology in Brooklyn. I'll be flying to New York City Whoa. for <laughs> the premiere. So if you want to meet the me or uh, Jess Barbagallo, who I wrote and uh, directed the film with, or any of the cast or crew, I, I think all three dozen of us are probably going to go to this screening. So uh, you can come and uh, get anything you want signed. Uh, you know, get a get a, get a, a signature tattooed. Yeah, it's a, it makes a great Christmas gift. Uh, you mean like it, where they sign you, and then the tattoo artist tattoos over the thing they wrote on your arm? Oh yeah. Right, yeah. No, what, Eric, what Eric knows. Eric, Eric's gotten these all over his body. Yeah. Just everybody he's ever met. Well, just all over my breast. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and this is free, so uh, feel free to come in and, uh, you know, and have all the nachos and hot dogs Their that you nachos want. nachos are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this through the um, local filmmakers showcase at Videology, which is every Monday. So it's on uh, May 11th at 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. All right. Mike, do you have anything that you would like to hawk or plug? I didn't know that there was a plug section. But I'm sorry. I well, it, it's okay. I, I, um, my friend Jessica Chalmers has um, works, some works on paper up at uh, a restaurant called Birchwood on North Avenue? North Street? North Avenue. Mm-hmm. You know, is it an avenue? North, North, North Avenue. North Avenue. Well, I know, I know it's no Bob Fosse Way, okay, or, <laughs> or Saul <Yes>. Bellow Boulevard, <laughs> but, you know, on North Avenue, Birchwood, and you should go see them, if you will, and possibly you can buy them. They're cheap, you know. It's, mm. it's their works on paper. You can hang them on a wall. Um, and my friend Donna in Tulsa, Oklahoma. By the way, here's a plug. Tulsa, Oklahoma, okay? <laughs> Cool, My t- mom is cool town, man. <laughs> a lot of snakes, but, you know, it's it's a cool town. Um, and my friend Donna's mom, both Donna and her mom live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, are having a birthday for her mom, her 75th birthday next wow. week, the 1st of April, April Fool's Day. So so there's a plug in there somewhere. I'm yes. not sure where it is, but, but it's there somewhere. And it's over to you, Eric. Uh, Go for it. So if you want to be one of those in one of those conversations that are special and unique, <laughs> uh, the show I curated called Documentia is closing hmm. next Saturday, April 4th, the Gallery Sidecar. In That's Hammond, a good Indiana. show. I saw. Oh, it. did it get it, uh, it got reviewed in New City. Mm-hmm. So check that out. And uh, also there's going to be a gallery talk with myself and some of the artists. What? Yeah. At 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the website is gallerysidecar.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, 3 p.m. on what day? Uh, Saturday, April 4th. Mm-hmm. So if nice. you if you Google gallery sidecar 
Hammond. Now, April 4th <laughs> is dumb old Saturday, right? April 4th is also my other nephew Soren's first birthday. Okay, so <laughs> okay, better, wh- what better way to celebrate it than <laughs> yeah. talking about art? <laughs> What yeah. what's good? What is it? Good old Saturday, dumb, dumb old Saturday, because it's uh, the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter uh, Sunday. How funny, <laughs> dumb old Saturday, yeah. stupid Saturday. Yeah. Because of the the chair I'm sitting on and the fact that my microphone is hooked to the chair, I just realized that I can do this. <gasps> oh, I love Ooh, it! Like that was like good. like J. Arthur Rank. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, and we will close out with a monologue from Luigi.